Well, good morning. We miss First Evangelical Church. We miss Cole's preaching. We miss our Sunday school class. We miss the Ballingers and the Cannons and the Tashies, all 25 of them. We miss the Cannons and the Osiers and the Cascarellas and the Huffmans. We miss this church. We miss Memphis as well. This is our favorite place we've ever lived. I miss Ribs. I miss Gus's and Gibson's. I miss hunting and college football. We miss Memphis in May. We miss the Memphis Zoo. We miss Shelby Farms. I don't know if I've ever said this publicly here at, at First Evan before or not, but we actually never wanted to leave. It was 2012, I was working for Downline Ministries, and we owned a house on Sea Isle Park. Uh, We just had our our second daughter. We had great friends. We loved this church. We felt like God was using us both in in ministry through uh, Downline Ministries as well as just in ministry here at First of Ann. We were being ministered uh, to uh, by by this church. Uh, It was was the sweetest season of life we've we've ever had. Uh, We just bought a minivan, for crying out loud. We were were in. Uh, We were here. We loved life. Uh, And yet... Uh, the question is, well, why'd we do it? We miss all of those things and we never really wanted to leave. Why'd we do it? And, and why are we still there where we live now? Well, it was because God put a vision before us for gospel work to be done in a city that is about 38 times the size of Memphis uh, and yet has uh, a, a handful of good gospel preaching churches. In fact, we're we're staying out past Shelby Farms at a a friend's home, and uh, there are more uh, good churches within a three-mile stretch on Walnut Grove uh, than there are in my city, 38 times the size of Memphis. In case that's hard to fathom, that would be like taking all of the people from Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Kentucky, stacking them on top of each other. To put it in another perspective, if you want to think in the terms of U.S. cities, you would have to add the nine largest U.S. cities together to have the population of the city where we live and minister. That's New York City plus Los Angeles plus Chicago plus Houston plus Phoenix plus Philadelphia plus San Antonio, plus San Diego, plus Dallas. That is Shanghai, China. And so God has called us away from Memphis and called me to pastor a church there uh, in Shanghai uh, for us to build into church leaders there in our city and to plant churches and that will plant other churches all in a all-nations type of city. No, I, I tell you all of this uh, in part by way of introduction. It's been a couple years since we've been able to, to visit with you, and uh, surely many of you have never seen me before in your life. And so I say all of that in part by way of introduction and update, but it's not just for that purpose. 
I, I also want to say, lest you think it's, it's easy for folks like us and the folks like the Campbells, unless you think it's easy for us to, uh, to, to live where we are and, and to, to have a, a missional mindset just because of the fact that we're gone and we're doing that, everything I've said so far about the, the vision for our ministry and the size of our city and all of those kinds of things, the things we've, uh, comforts we've sacrificed and things that we've left behind, all of that matters not whether you're living in Shanghai or Memphis or in West Asia, all of that matters not and in fact could be completely unrelated to and have no relevance whatsoever for the mission of God if it's not undergirded by a biblical vision for God's mission. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to consider this biblical vision for mission from a psalm. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to me to Psalm 67. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 481. You can follow along as we read God's Word together. Psalm 67. And as we look at this together, I want to say, if if you're a Christian, you are in a graced community toward the goal of a global vision. That's true of you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are in a graced community. You are a graced person towards the goal or towards the end of a global vision. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to just kind of give you two points here. Uh, Number one, we're going to look in Psalm 67 and see a graced community. Second thing we'll see is a global vision. Graced community, global vision. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are in a graced community towards the end of a global vision. I'll read the entire text here. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. Psalm 67 verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Number one, a graced community. I want to start by, by just considering this first verse together. Here in this first point, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Well, what does that mean? That, that sounds a little bit like Christianese, a little bit like jargon uh, for God's face to shine upon us and for God to bless us and gr- be gracious to us and for us to, to get it at what this means and, and what exactly the, the text is saying. I think we need to cut through some of that jargon and Christianese a little bit and, and consider what exactly it was meant here for the psalmist and for the original audience, this original community, when they would have heard this verse, when they would have heard, uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us as this psalm was sung what would it have meant for them well in in the original context uh, to bless meant uh, it was related to the idea of of fertility and abundance and prosperity 
And so in a sense, for them to say, may God bless us, it was, it was a prayer for God to give the, the believing community abundance in all of life. May God bless us. May he give, may, may he give us uh, fertility and abundance and, and, and uh, may he give us uh, a blessing. May he give us prosperity. It was a prayer for God to give that believing community abundance in all of life. May our, may our relationship with God result in, in tangible favor from God. And uh, it's not to be confused with saying that, that there's a, uh, a prosperity theology, that if, if, if we only love God, then he's required to bless us. That's not what's going on here. But it is an understanding that they, they desire that and they call out, would, would God bless us? Would he show his favor to us that would result in a, in a tangible experience of that in our lives? And the prayer also says here, if you look at your text, Psalm 67, verse 1, and this prayer was also for his face to shine upon them. In the Bible, if you ever see anything about God's face shining, it has to do with the idea of, of his presence. If you were to see God's face, you would necessarily be in God's presence. You would be before him. And so for God's face to shine on his people is for them to, to be in God's presence uh, and, and, and to, to be there. If you saw his face, you'd be in his presence. His, his face shining was a, a plea for God's presence and, and, again, for his favor directed toward them for their good. And so both of these acts, both God blessing them and giving them abundance, as well as God's presence, his face shining upon them, both of these things are, are gracious acts. So I says, may God be gracious to us uh, in this. Neither one of these are, are deserved by us. And so this prayer, verse 1, is saying, God, would you, in your grace, be present with us, granting us abundant life. That's how this psalm begins. So this is the meaning here in, in Psalm 67, and, and if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you may know that this is actually a quote from an earlier text in your Bible, in Numbers chapter 6. There's a priestly blessing there as the, as the, uh, the priests were preparing to be ministering in the presence of God, as the priests were preparing to, to be in God's presence, uh, they are, are, are preparing to, uh, to lead Israel and, and to be in their presence. Uh, Moses and, and prays this prayer. This, this prayer is prayed over Aaron and, and, the, and the Levites. It's prayed that, that God might be gracious and shine his face upon us. The same things that you're reading here in Psalm 67, verse 1. But the interesting thing is that there's something included at the end of this priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6 that we don't see here in Psalm 67. And it's this line. Listen to this. This is how the, the priestly blessing in Numbers 6 ends. It says, so shall they, meaning the priests, as, as this prayer is prayed over them, so shall they put my name upon Israel, and I will bless them. Isn't that amazing? By, by pronouncing this blessing uh, on, on the people, by pronouncing this blessing, and then, and then I think in a wider sense, as they lived in light of this blessing, it wasn't just saying the blessing over, and it's this magical thing to, to, to make anything happen, but it's as, as, this, as this was said over them, and as they walked and lived in light of this truth, as they did this, this text says, Numbers chapter 6, that God's name would be on them. It would be clear that they belonged to him as his treasured possession, and God's presence with them and their experience of his blessing would mark his people. What a great prayer. 
that they might be a graced community dynamically experiencing and distinctively marked by God's presence. God, would you give us abundance? Would you give us your presence? Would you do all of that so that your name is on us and we are marked as your people? What a great prayer. And because it's a great prayer, you might be tempted to pray it. And you know what? You're free to do it. You're free to pray this prayer. However, I want you, First Evangelical Church in 2018, to see that if you pray this, you should pray it not from the perspective of something that might happen, something that may happen, but from the perspective of something that's already happened. From where we stand at this point in salvation history, this isn't a wish for us. This isn't something we hope may happen will be accomplished in the future. God has done this, and God has done this in Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's that word again, face. With the presence of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, with the presence of Christ, Paul writes to the Corinthians that that God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, friends, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you're visiting, maybe a friend brought you, maybe you've been coming here for years and you're not quite sure about, about this whole Jesus stuff and what we talk about, the, this, this good news, I want you to see here this morning that, that this is the good news of Christianity. When we talk about the good news, or, or another word for that is the gospel, this is that good news. That, that, that the blessing and presence of God was something that humanity once knew intimately and perfectly. You can actually trace this theme of God's presence from the garden all the way at the beginning of the book of, of, of the uh, beginning of the Bible, all the way to the end uh, of, the, of the Bible in Revelation. You can trace this, this, this theme of having and then losing God's presence. And so from the very beginning, humanity was created to have an intimate knowledge of, of an intimate experience of God's presence with him from the very beginning. But it was a, re, it was a relationship that was quickly marred and damaged by sin, both original sin and then sin that we all experience continually in our lives. And because of that sin, we all end up, the Bible says, with death. That, that what our sin earns us, and none of us are exempt from that, what we are, the sin that, it's not just sin, isn't just something, something that we do, it's something that infects us. It's, it's kind of a, it's who we are as fallen humanity, and because of that, what we earn is death. But, and, and death and, and separation from God's presence, this, his face shining on us is, is gone. Uh, but God, rich in love and great in mercy, sent Christ, without whom we emphatically would know no blessing. We emphatically would never get to experience the shining face of God on us. Enjoying God's presence would be impossible. And it's only by repenting of our sins, turning from our sins, and uh, that's what repenting means, to repent, turn from our sins, and then turn towards Christ by faith, it's only in doing that that, that, that that this idea of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ might be something that we know. 
that we can finally and confidently know with confidence that God has shown his face on us to give us his grace and his peace, not by anything that we've done, but by something that Christ has done for us. And friends, if you are a Christian here this morning, you, you are the graced community. What is said right here, may God uh, be gracious towards us and, and, and bless us and shine his face on us. I'm telling you, you pray that not as something that might happen, but as something that has happened. And I want you to remember and realize this, me, this is me. This has happened. I am a graced person. God has shown his grace towards me. I know the face of God, the glory of God in the face of Christ as I've trusted Christ by faith. Your identity then is not primarily in your job. It's not your identity is not primarily in your family. Your identity is not even primarily in your church, though all of those things are essential elements for all of us, where we work and uh, our, our family that, that God has placed us in and, and the church that, that we covenant together with to walk and pursue Christ. All of those things are essential parts of who we are, but that is not your primary identity. Your identity is primarily that you know this abundant life and this presence of God that the psalmist here prays for. And that means, this is where we're going, that means that everything to follow in this psalm is going to directly relate to you as well, if you're in Christ. Let's, let's look at the rest. A global vision, number two. I'll pick it back up here in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That. Let me just stop right there. What a disruptive word for anyone who just wants a, a me and Jesus kind of faith. Or for anyone who just wants a me and my countrymen kind of faith. Me and my own little part of the world kind of faith. This word that is extremely disruptive. We're often way more comfortable if the psalmist would have just prayed, may God be gracious to us and bless us and, and make his face to shine upon us. Yes and amen. That's great. That, that's not the end of the story. There's something else to be said. That, there's a purpose to this being true of us. Let's keep going. That, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That there is a global vision, this is what you've been, uh, grace, you've been blessed, God has shown his presence to you if you're in Christ, and it's for a purpose, that word that, and whatever the purpose is, it's a global vision here. I don't know if you were counting there, uh, but 11 times in six verses, we see a reference to to something going on on a global scale. Look at your text, verse 2. On earth, your way may be known on earth, saving power, all nations. Verse 3, let the peoples, let all the peoples. Verse 4, the nations, the peoples, the nations. Verse 5, the peoples, all the peoples. Verse 6, the earth. Verse 7, all the ends of the earth. Do you see that whatever is going on here for the original reader, the point was clear. There is a purpose to your election. 
a purpose for God's presence and favor among his people. And the purpose was to serve as a platform for more people praising God. And you realize that's not just true of this original audience. Church, this is true of us as well. You weren't saved for you. As if salvation is this, I get a ticket into heaven and that's all I needed. That's all God was after. That is clearly not what is true of us. If God has saved you, he didn't save you merely for you. He saved you and he saved me so that he might, through you, spread blessing to more people. All right, now here's a question. What exactly is it? There's something global going on. There's, there's something that we're saved, not for us. It's to, it's to further something else. What exactly is the message that's supposed to be broadcast globally? Well, let's look here in the text. I, I think there's two things that he is wanting to broadcast. Number one, his saving power. Number two, his sovereign rule. I think these are clear here in Psalm 67. Number one, his saving power. Secondly, his sovereign rule. So if you'll look there at, at, at uh, verse 2, you'll see his saving power, right? And that uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power. That's what that's clarifying your way. What, what do you mean by that your way may be known on earth? Well, it's, it's that God's saving power, his way as a God who is powerfully able to save people. That your saving power may be known among all nations. God's favor among his people, you, the church, is meant to shine a spotlight not on their greatness, but on God's greatness and his power to save. That's why as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see the the Exodus story told over and over again. As people are recounting history and giving speeches, even in the New Testament, people will always look back and recount the Exodus story of God delivering his people through the Red Sea. It was the, it was the Calvary. It was the cross of the Old Testament. It was, look at God's power to save. Look at the lengths to which God will go to save his people. And friends, that was merely a shadow of the major event. Uh, the Christ event of the New Testament where God fully and finally and completely shows his power. His power even over death. That he could, uh, his son could die on the cross and he could raise him back to life. Friends, God saves to send forth a message. He redeems to redeem. And Paul again wrote to the Corinthians saying you've been reconciled and you've been, not just reconciled, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Not if you're gifted in evangelism, not if you're a missionary, if you're reconciled. You've been made a minister of reconciliation as though God, through you, were making an appeal. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, this is necessarily true of us. That God wants to save us. He wants to redeem us to redeem others. He wants to save us to make sure others get to hear of his saving power. What amazing responsibility that we have. Christians, God wants you to use you to tell others about his saving power. Not to tell others about your political affiliation. Not to tell others about your parenting and educational convictions. Not to tell others about your newest business venture opportunity that you may have. Not to tell people about your college football passions. 
his saving power. That's your message. That's what God wants to broadcast. The second thing here is his, his sovereign rule. He wants to make known his saving power and then his sovereign rule. If you look at verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And this phrase, I think, in verse 4 is sometimes skipped over when people talk about Psalm 67. But it's important to note that along with the, the purpose statement in verse 2, right, we have the purpose statement, that, so that, your way may be known on the earth, there is another huge statement that gives the reason that the nations should be glad and rejoice. Look at, look at in your text at verse 4, the word for, F-O-R, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This gives the reasons that the nation should be glad and rejoice because God judges or guides the nations. We see that word judge there. Don't don't think of a a kind of a a final judgment kind of a picture. That's not the way the word is being used here. Again, if you look at the very next line of that verse, it helps to clarify. It says that he you judge the people with equity and then you guide the nations upon the earth. And this is saying, in a sense, that that uh, God is a God, then the nation should be glad and sing for joy because there is a God who is ruling and guiding. And the nation should sing for, glad, uh, sing for joy and be glad because there is a God who is sovereign. There is a God who sovereignly rules. There is a God who sustains. There is a God who holds all things together. There is a God who gives us uh, purpose in our pain. There is a God who will one day end all suffering and evil and wickedness and, 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 and human trafficking and cancer and, and all the things that just wear us out and bog us down and, and, and cause us to cry out, Come soon, Lord Jesus. The psalmist says, listen, there's a God who sovereignly rules. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. One, because we see he's a God who has saving power. But two, because we see there's a God who sovereignly rules. There's a God who sovereignly reigns. There's somebody who's in charge of this whole thing. And we know how it's going to go. We know where it's going to end. And we know that he's good. And we know that we can trust him. The nation should be glad and sing for joy in a word because we have a God who can be trusted who sovereignly rules and guides and judges. I find both of these things illustrated quite well in a, in a friend of mine, one of our church members at our church in, in Shanghai, who's actually been missing for about 11 months now. Um, he's a, a member, a person of, of one of the uh, most persecuted people groups on the, on the, on the planet, um, came to Shanghai for school, a uh, friend shared the gospel with him, or a friend met him on campus, and, and uh, um, he had been interacting with Christians, and because he's a part of a, a persecuted people group, he was uh, taken in to be, to be questioned by the police, and he had been, he was an English major, and he had been just reading the Bible uh, just as a, just a function of trying to learn English. Uh, so I'd given him a Bible at some point, and so he's, he's reading the Bible and uh, kind of tracking there, and he had read the Gospels, and he had read about Jesus being uh, beaten and cursed and spat upon and crucified and dying for the, for the sins of the world. He had, he had read all of that, didn't believe it, but he had read all of that. He's arrested, he's taken to the police station, and as he's being beaten, as the blows are falling on him, his mind goes to Jesus. 
And he says, this is what he went through to save me from my sins. He literally became a Christian while he was being beaten by the police. God can take somebody from a Muslim background, highly persecuted, uh, beaten just for being born where you were, and God's saving power can reach in and, and, and redeem and save someone. He became a member of our church, and uh, some time went along, and, and you may have, uh, be aware there's been some, some new regulations and some new crackdowns, and, and he was called to, to go back uh, to his hometown um, in this uh, part of the, the country where he's from, uh, and he disappeared. Uh, he's been gone since August. Uh, we've seen some reports and seen some things pretty, uh, about 99% sure he's in a re-education uh, facility. No way to get in touch, no way to um, know how he's doing, no way to, to, to do that at all. But through all of this, one of the, the beautiful things has been uh, to see my church uh, respond to that and to never forget about him. It's been 11 months. We have a, we have a membership directory uh, here. I keep it in my Bible. Uh, he's still in here. Uh, we're not going to take him out. We're going to keep praying for him. We're going to keep hoping that we'll see our brother one day. But, but we trust uh, not only in God's saving power to save a brother like this, but in God's sovereign rule. And it's been amazing to see the church just trust God. And, and for many of them to say, listen, even if that's me, I'm going to still trust God. Because he is good and he deals with equity and he judges rightly. We can trust him uh, to, to know what is good and to do what is good. Friends, God is powerful to save and God is good to be trusted. That is the message. That is, you, you, if you are a Christian, you are in a graced community toward the end of a global vision. Just to make, maybe make this a, just a little more tangible or applicational, let me, let me just give you a few uh, points as we close. I want to kind of make five statements here that I want you to, to, to hold on to and to think about uh, since uh, you are a, a graced people towards the end of a global vision. Let me just make five observations, five truths. These are going to be incredibly obvious, right? These are going to, th- this is, you're going to think, man, you went to seminary for this? Uh, these are going to be great. All right, number one, you were saved as a platform for a global vision. That's something we've already said. I want to state it as a, as a, as a, a by way of application, because I want you to remember that. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to think about that. I want you to talk over lunch as you leave here today. What does it mean that I was saved as a platform for global, for a global vision? Friends, this needs to be mentally, consistently present in our minds at all times. That we would realize why God saved us. And then given... Uh, that, 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 that if, whenever, when this is present in our minds, when we realize that this is why God saved us, and, and, and if we live our lives and give our lives towards uh, the, the reala- realization of this global vision, that is a life that honors the Lord. It's a life backed by His authority and His power. So friends, that means that if you have a hardened family member, if you have a skeptical colleague, God is powerful to save. God, you were saved for a platform to get the message out to others. It doesn't matter what you think about whether God might save them or not. doesn't matter what you think about whether God can break through to that classmate or that coworker or not. 
You were saved for this purpose. Let's leave the rest up to God. Number two, y'all. I'm so glad I could say y'all again. Nobody in China knows what that means. Y'all were saved. So you were saved as a platform for a global vision. And y'all were saved as a platform for global vision. We should be constantly reminding ourselves together, supporting one another in, encouraging one another towards this. If you don't have a friend at this church that you get together with, not just to eat a donut and drink some coffee, not, not just to talk about the, the, the sporting event that you saw last night, not, not to do that, but, but to, to get together with a friend in this church and say, hey, who are you praying for? Who, who, who in your life are you trusting God that, you, that him through you could make known his global vision, his power to save, his sovereign rule? Friends, seek that out today. Y'all were saved as a platform for global vision. Number three, you are one of the people. Told you this is going to be obvious. May the peoples praise you, O God. Friends, you are one of the people. God has saved you for a reason. Indeed, he has saved us for a reason. And that reason is to make a proclamation globally. But there's no convincing witness if we ourselves are bored with God's saving power. One of my favorite things as a pastor is anybody becomes a member of our church, I interview them and I hear their testimony. And I am constantly just blown away by God's power to save people. You would be shocked if you would just start asking people around First Evan, how'd you become a believer? You would be so blessed by asking that one question as you walk in these halls. And that breeds spiritual health as we do that together. There's no convincing witness if we are bored with God's saving power. Be enamored by that. Be taken with that. Be, be, be consumed by knowing and seeing how God is powerful to save. And there's no convincing witness if we ourselves aren't glad and joyful regarding God's sovereign rule. I'm not saying we act like bad things don't happen. I'm not saying we, we ignore pain in our lives. We, we need to, uh, to pay attention to that. We need to be honest in our pain. We need to, uh, to, but we also realize that, that, that choosing joy, that is a choice is to, to choose to, to, to trust God and his sovereign rule. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples do that. You are one of the people. Number four, the United States is a nation. Told you. Incredibly obvious. The United States is a nation. So friends, start today. Start this week. Meditate on these truths. Grab an elder of the church if you feel like your your heart is cold towards any of this and you want help or, or need further equipping. So as this says, that let the nations be glad. May all the peoples praise you. Friends, that, that is, again, that the fact that I live overseas or the Campbells live overseas or, or missionaries that this church supports, which the first man does a great job of supporting missionaries. But all of our message combined to you is this. Hey, the United States is one of these nations. Make God's saving power known. And then finally, not only is the United States a nation, number four, or number five, there are other nations. <laughs> and pray for the world. Friends, if you're like me, you might think, you know what, I hear this, I read Psalm 67, and sometimes I say, my heart's just not there. If you would ask me, hey, do you want all the peoples to praise God and the nations to be glad and sing for joy? I'd say, yeah, of course I do. 
maybe my heart just isn't there all the time. It's not constantly my heart's cry or desire. Friends, if that's you, pray. Pray for the nations. Pray for the missionaries. Grab a missionary directory from this church and pray for the nations. And it's not like... uh, I'm not saying, I'm not giving that to you as, a, as an application in the sense that, that you just say, I God, I don't care about the nations. I pray that you'd make me care about the nations. No, it's, it's actually the praying itself that can create in us the heart. What we pray about reveals what we care about, but what we pray about also shapes what we care about. So friends, pray. Let me just end by reading these last two verses. I want to conclude where the psalmist concludes, Psalm 67, verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The psalmist's tone changes there in the final two verses, doesn't it? He's no longer praying that God would give blessing and prosperity. He's saying he knows that it will be true. He changes his, his tone He's not praying for God's blessing. He's confident that God will bless them and that this will will lead to the ends of the earth fearing and revering and giving God the honor that he deserves. So friends, we know the rest of the story. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. We know that the things that we've talked about this morning are, are certain. A graced community, God blessing his people in Christ. God will protect and secure them until the end. A global vision. One day, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will stand before God saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Since we know it's sure, as the psalmist does, what better cause to invest your life in than a cause that you know is both guaranteed and eternal? And what confidence and boldness can we have as a graced community pursuing a global vision? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do praise you that in Christ you have shown your face on us. And God, I I pray for this church, I pray for myself and my family and my church in Shanghai that we would indeed live in light of these truths that we just meditated on. Would it be for your glory, would all peoples praise you as the gospel, the good news of Christ, resounds through uh, this community and others that you've called to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.